Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Today's Tuesday, January 28th, 2020. Coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, the governor of Mississippi all of a sudden now realizes, yeah, they might want to fix... The shoddy prisons in Mississippi. Now that a now that a 12th inmate has died this year alone, the White House and the Trump legal team they have uh, finished their opening arguments. They also are trying to stop the damage done by the bombs dropped by dropping a new book by former National Security Advisor John Bolton. Will any Republicans have the guts to call witnesses now? The Trump administration is also trying to make it easier for banks to reject loans to black people. But I thought they were doing so much for black people. And also, what's behind the Bernie Sanders surge in the polls, but also what about the discussion that he can't beat Trump in November? Plus a $2.5 million gift 
of African-American art goes to Howard University. The latest to the investigation to the helicopter crash that killed uh, Lakers legend Kobe Bryant and eight other people, including his 13-year-old daughter. It's time to bring the funk on Roller Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the fine. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. With entertainment just for kicks, he's rolling. Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves now says he has seen enough. There should be changes made to the state prison system at Parchman. Well, guess what? Now that 12 people have died uh, as a result of various conditions taking place in that prison, this, of course, is what Reeves had to say yesterday in his address to the state. I've been to Parchman. I saw it for myself just a few days ago. The problems were infuriating. There is no excuse. We can do better. We will right the wrongs of the past, and we will do everything in our power to protect the dignity of every Mississippi life. All Mississippians must be able to trust that the people in charge of the system are acting with competence to keep them safe. We must be able to trust that the corrections officers operating these prisons have the tools that they need to do their jobs and that they are compensated fairly. We must be able to trust that this system shows a baseline level of respect to those who find themselves within it. We must administer justice fairly, respecting the dignity of all within our prison walls. We have brought in an honorable, able, experienced leader with a background in corrections and law enforcement. Tommy Taylor, to serve as a steady hand in the interim. He has already made several changes that we hope will help us begin to do better. There's a great deal more that must be done, but we are just now starting to move in the right direction. We have asked a trusted, diverse group of experts to conduct a nationwide search to provide me with a recommendation for a permanent solution to our leadership crisis. We have made one major decision that I would like to announce today. I have instructed the Mississippi Department of Corrections to begin the necessary work to start closing Parchman's most notorious unit, Unit 29. There are many logistical questions that will need to be answered. We're working through that right now. But I have seen enough. We have to turn the page. This is the first step and I have asked the department to begin the preparations to make it happen safely, justly, and quickly. Well, isn't that grand? This is the same governor who pretty much was blaming the prisoners, and then after numerous folks died, then he decides to finally go look at what's happening 
at Parchman. Joining us right now is Rukia Lumumba, Executive <laughs> Director of the People's Advocacy Institute in Jackson, Mississippi. So, Rukia, uh, so to, to hear the governor all of a sudden get religion, uh, folks like you had to have a big protest uh, along with uh, Until Freedom, Yo Gotti, Jay-Z's uh, Team Rock. Uh, nearly a 1,000 folks were there on Friday. Y'all, of course, uh, made it clear you'd be returning uh, to the state capitol every day. Now, all of a sudden, he wakes the hell up? Right, right. So you, you feel about the same way we feel, Roland. Thanks for having me back on the show, and thanks for everybody for tuning in. You know, uh, definitely happy that the governor is stating that he's going to take a step to close Unit 29 uh, within parchment. Unit 29 is not the only horrible unit in 29. Um, we know that Unit 32 is just as bad, and we want to see people released from there. But we also want to see people moved with dignity. But most importantly, we haven't given up, and we're not going to stop until the whole facility is shut down. Parchment, as I've mentioned before on your show, is a night is an 18,000-acre former plantation. At the end of slavery, it became one of those labor camps and then later became a penitentiary. And so the images that you see uh, uh, that are showing across the screen now are images that for decades, decades, we in the community have known are, are happening at Parchment. Um, the, the conditions that lead to violence, the conditions that lead to people living uh, in filth, in squalor, um, conditions of people uh, literally having to patch up themselves because there's not medical staff on site. Um, food and, and, and horrible food services and um, various things like that. So it's time to shut down this place. It has been a, a place of oppression for our people since it, it, it first opened up, you know, nearly 100 years ago. Um, and it, what was also crazy, again, is, is to hear the governor come out on Monday and what he was pretty much operating from the position of, I'm deaf, dumb, and blind, uh, don't tell me what's going on. Uh, it's everybody else's fault. And then to come on, come out on Monday and say, I finally went to the prisons. The, 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 a real leader, the first time they hear these things and see those videos, what they do is pick up the phone and say, what the hell is going on? You call your head of prisons in and say, tell me exactly what's going on. And then after, after a second and a third and a fourth person dies, you kind of don't wait till 12 people die for you to finally go, hmm... I think we got a problem. Yeah. And so what people don't realize is that this governor has known the problems for decades. He was also our lieutenant governor last year and then during the, the last term. Um, so he's known that these problems have been happening. This is not new news for him. And, and before he went in a day or two ago, you know, there were legislators, seven black legislators went in from the, from the state black caucus and saw the same conditions that he had talked about. And they reported the same thing that he reported, but still no movement from him. Instead, what we saw was a governor that said, I'm sending in additional guards to search people for cell phones. Why are you searching people for cell phones? Because they're using those phones to expose what's happening inside. Right. And so it's basically trying to catch the whistleblowers and try to hold them accountable for telling the truth, for risking their lives to show what's going on inside. Um, so, you know, we're, we're, we are uh, we are uh, cautiously optimistic that he will actually shut down Unit 29, that it will be done safely without additional harm to the people who live um, in Unit 29, and that he will begin to make immediate modes after shutting down Unit 29 to shut down the entire facility. It has to go. There's no question about it. Um, 
what also jumps out at me here when to hear the governor say, well, there should be a baseline. Part of the problem is this attitude of, well, let's just do the basics. Let's do the most, the, the barest and minimal we can to get by. That also is problematic. Yeah, it's very problematic. When we're talking about people's, uh, people being able to live in healthy, humane conditions, you can't just do the baseline when we're looking at a facility that hasn't been renovated since 1971. Matter of fact, the last suit that won, well, one of the last suits that won uh, against parchment was a suit against protesters, black protesters in the 1970s, in 1971 to be exact, that sued parchment for the inhumane treatment that protesters received while held captive in parchment. They were subjected to many of the things that we hear about today, um, horrible food, um, food that is uh, spoiled, not good for consumption, um, beatings by guards and allowing other inmates to beat them. Um, we heard instances uh, in that lawsuit of people being humiliated and treated like animals, being uh, required to do things that were inappropriate. Um, and so, you know, we're seeing a replaying of this, and it never actually ended. And so now, community is standing up and saying, enough is enough. Enough is enough. We're not going to sit back and allow this to continue to happen. And so when we saw thousands of people come out last Friday, it wasn't just thousands of people coming out just for a few minutes. People stayed out there for three hours rolling, protesting, March saying, listen, we don't want to take this anymore. Family after family after formerly incarcerated person, black and white coming up to the stand and talking about the abuses that they endured within that facility, within Parchment, but also within other Mississippi Department of Correction facilities. I want to be clear. Parchment is, is, is the, the target at this point, but the whole system is a problem. And we have to work to correct the entire system. We have to transform it. We have to create a whole new system, period. What we have here is not sufficient. It is not anything about rehabilitation. It is completely about punishment. It is completely about um, uh, inhumane treatment and dehumanizing people. And all of this has to end. And we have some solution in ways that, that we see this, this problem being cured. Rakia Lumumba, Executive Director of the People's Advocacy Institute in Jackson, Mississippi. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Um, if, if folks are interested in following and joining us in this work, we ask them to please follow the Mississippi Prison Reform Coalition on Facebook. We have very clear action items that people can take to engage in this process, including calling the governor and state legislators, uh, as well as signing the petition that the Color of Change has placed uh, for us, has created All right. for us. All right. We surely appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Roman. Appreciate All right, let's go to our panel here. Kelly Bethea, communication strategist. Malik Malik Abdul, Republican strategist. And also Teresa Lundy, principal founder, TML Communications. Joining me via Skype is Dr. Jason Nichols, Department of African American Studies, University of Maryland. Malik, I'll start with you. Glad to see the governor finally woke the hell up. Absolutely. You know, and better late than never. You know, I was critical of... Well, I won't say better late than never when 12 people are dead. Yeah, well... So being the... late... The fact is, is that he's doing what we wanted him to do now. So that that he's late doing it, I'm glad that he's come around because for me, it's I'm less concerned about the governor than the inmates who were actually there and have to suffer from that. So if the governor, did the governor deserves to be criticized for this late effort, I'm actually not surprised that he's just going because we know how it is with executives. You send your people down and they kind of filter stuff up and some of that stuff may get back to you or not, but I'm glad that he actually went because that actually meant him going 
to the actual prison, and I think the prison opened in 1901. So we can imagine just how old um, the prison is. But I'm glad that he actually went there because it's clear by going there, it's harder to deny what the reality is. Kelly, it shouldn't take 12 people dying for a governor to all of a sudden realize there's a problem in our state prisons. These videos have been circulating since December and January. Here we are towards the end of the month. His early uh, attitude was, oh, uh, let's fight the cell phones. I mean, so he was yeah. critical of them sneaking cell phones in, saying that was the problem when it was actually the cell phones which allowed people to actually see exactly. what was actually happening in the prisons. Exactly. And I can't help but wonder just how many other people have died. These are just 12 people that we know about that have been confirmed not suicide for the most part. Even like some of the most recent deaths, they're saying, quote unquote, apparent suicide. Um, and something tells me that's not even the case. So it, it's disturbing. Um, disturbing is an understatement as to how egregious this situation is. I also can't help but think that, you know, one or two white people that I know of were of the 12 who have uh, been deceased in, in, in this short amount of time. And I can't help but wonder if it's because of those few that this is now a national issue. I mean, like, it, 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 it's Mississippi. I understand there's a deep-rooted history of racism, bigotry, and white supremacy there. But at the end of the day, this is just basic human rights, and not just black people are in those prisons. So even if you are looking from a white supremacist mindset, you should still be considerate of who's in those prisons, because that's not a good look on you either. Jason, again, 12 folks dying. Governor finally weighs up, you know, says, ah, oh, we got to confront this problem on Monday. Uh, I, I, a crisis in leadership, and this is what happens when you talk about leaders. You know what? If one inmate dies in a prison, then you go, okay, that's unfortunate. But then when it became two, then three, then four, then five, then six, then seven, then eight, then nine, 10, 11, 12, now you step up, that to me is a failure of leadership. I would agree, and, and, you know, I wouldn't have had to count that far. I think once you got to about three, there should have been a thorough investigation. Uh, I'm really glad that, you know, Jay-Z and, and Yo Gotti shined a light on this. And in addition, of course, the most important people are the activists on the ground, like the woman that you just had on. They are really important, and then you had the people who shined a light from the outside. And one of the things that I was reading in, in Yo Gotti's letter is him talking about the distance. It's more widespread than just parchment and, and then uh, Unit 29, that this is more, you know, uh, ubiquitous in Mississippi and that they need to investigate more. So I wouldn't even claim victory right now because there may be other dead people or people who are very sick or their well-being is in jeopardy in other parts of the state and other, other prisons. Teresa, um, yes, glad to see the governor stepping up. Uh, but uh, as Rukia says, a whole lot of work you got to deal with uh, when you have uh, significant problems with conditions across the state prison system. I think, yes, absolutely. But I also think there was a lot of pressure that was given to the governor. Um, oh, pressure bus pipes. <laughs> yes. And be, but because of that pressure that he was given and um, 
him trying to silence people's voices. If it wasn't for Jay-Z and Yo Gotti's amplification of the situation, and if it wasn't for advocacy groups then following up from the 12 that were uh, pretty much murdered inside, I think there, you know, the governor wouldn't have came out the way he did, and thus I'm not sure if this is an actual uh, victory because there should have been an analysis, a full, full analysis of the inside of the prison, the decisions that were being made. Um, I, I honestly disagree with having three people. Once three people died, we should have looked into it. No, I believe there should have the first person died, there should have been a full-blown investigation, but the reason why there was an investigation is because the way Mississippi law uh, has been handled in past uh, re decades, um, people have been, you know, swiping uh, issues and, and, and um, these civil rights right under the floor mat and not allowing um, um, Mississippians to actually really amplify um, you know, their rights as citizens. So, overall, the governor should have um, done his job as governor, as lieutenant governor, before he came, became governor. Um, but it shouldn't have taken the likes of um, Jay-Z and Yo Gotti to get it across. Well, um, again, it, you, you had activists who were on the ground who were who were driving this issue. When they when they came in, uh, they then said they were going to help file the, the federal lawsuit. That actually took place as well. So all those different things uh, took place that were part of this, and so that's and and so and social media. And so glad right. to see them stepping up. But right. again, this is just a speech on Monday. The right. question now is. What do you do after the speech? That's what right. matters. All right, folks, let's go to uh, what's happening here in Capitol Hill today. The Trump lawyer stopped, uh, well, finished their opening testimony, uh, laying out the case, of course, uh, on why, why senators should acquit Donald Trump. Uh, the Associated Press, though, reported literally just two minutes ago uh, that uh, Senator Mitch McConnell, according to sources, has admitted he does not have the Republican votes needed to block witnesses from testifying. This, of course, comes on the heels of the New York Times reporting about the book from John Bolton, uh, where he wrote that Donald Trump indeed uh, was uh, using his power to try to get Ukraine uh, to investigate the Bidens and, and withheld uh, the resources that were approved by Congress. In addition to that, he also says he told Attorney General William Barr last year that, that he believed that Trump was using uh, his office to help autocrats uh, in other countries. Hmm. So the question now is, uh, when you look at these uh, various Republicans, um, uh, Jason, they are not too particularly pleased because, one, they were highly critical of Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi for delaying sending over the articles of impeachment. That now seems to be a stroke of genius because if it, she did not hold that back, the Senate, by this point, would have easily found Donald Trump, would have easily acquitted Donald Trump. You would have not heard of Lev Parnas, would not know about this here. Uh, now they are forced to, to uh, a reckoning as to whether or not they're going to call the former national security advisor for Donald Trump, John Bolton, to testify before the Senate. Trust me, the White House is not particularly happy right now. Absolutely. And, and you know, I, I think it was all not just uh, Nancy Pelosi and her holding the articles. And, you know, of course, I have my own conspiracy theory that I believe she was in touch with Lev Parnas' attorneys before she actually turned those 
uh, articles over. She was biding them time so that they could actually produce the documentation, which is more important, certainly, than Lev Parnas's word. But I think, you know, uh, uh, you know, in terms of the not having the vote, uh, John Bolton, John Bolton was, uh, you know, an important uh, is an important piece to this. And, you know, hopefully if they can't get John Bolton, at least they will be able to get his uh, his book and subpoena the publisher to get the actual manuscript and see what it is that he wrote, which is, you know, just as important as as necessarily hearing from him. I would, and I honestly would have called the Republican bluff the entire time and would have said, sure, we'll give you Hunter Biden, we'll give you Joe Biden if you give us the witnesses that we want. Um, because, number one, we know he was going to claim executive privilege. That was all a front. There was no way, even if, they, if you gave them Hunter Biden, they were not going to allow Mick Mulvaney and Blair and Duffy and uh, you know, Bolton and many others. But, but, that, you know, but, but, but Jason, that's but, but, but that's why you don't play the game of saying we'll give up, we'll, we'll say Hunter Biden and Joe Biden, because the reality is Hunter Biden and Joe Biden have absolutely nothing to do with Donald Trump asking Ukraine, to, first of all, to investigate them and him, him withholding uh, the money. And so going down that road plays right in the Republicans' hands, that, that they would love nothing more to have the leading, uh, versus, based, based upon the polls, Democratic uh, nominee to be testifying in the impeachment trial. That's nothing to do with it. And so... But, yeah, but my disagreement is that would never happen. I think you're calling a bluff. What? No, no, they, no, they... no, you're not calling a bluff. What you're doing is you are... Here's the deal. You play that game, and then the Republicans, well, fine, let's do this person and that person. No. You, you force them to stick to what's at hand, what's the deal. Now that this memoir comes out, now that there's this transcript, now they have to contend with not whether you call Hunter Biden or Joe Biden, they got to first deal with, do you call John Bolton? And if John Bolton does indeed come testify, what will he say that will force Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State? Will then force Mick Mulvaney, yes. and so if you if you play their game, oh, they would love to have the tit for tat game. Now it's the the whole emphasis on Bolton and whether or not they're going to totally ignore his book, which will be out in six weeks. And now you got Lindsey Graham saying, "Oh, let's look at let let's go to a skiff to read his book." Why in the hell do you need to go to a place of to, to read classified material? when it's a book that is being printed as we speak. Yeah. So, no, we, we agree that Hunter Biden is a distraction. There's no question about that, that he is not a fact or material witness in this case. All I'm saying is that I don't believe that they would have uh, allowed Bolton to testify. That was all a front. You know what I mean? I, I don't believe... I think he would have claimed executive privilege on all of the people I just named, and there's no way that he would have given you Duffy and Blair either. So, you know, particularly with the high-level people like uh, Pompeo and Fulton and Esper and all of those people, there's no way that they would have given them up because they knew that he had done something wrong. And there's no way that they would have let them testify. That was just... This is all just talk. So, if you, in my opinion, again, if you say, all right, we'll just call witnesses, you can call your witnesses, we'll call ours, I think they would have said, well, hold the phone. You know, uh, you got to go to court. This, that, and the third, and they would have avoided it. 
Well, I tell you what, uh, Teresa, uh, the issue you're now facing is this here. These Republicans are going to look real silly saying, nah, let's not call John Bolton when the book is coming out. Mm-hmm. And all Americans are going to be able to read what the former national security advisor will be saying, Donald Trump did do this. Yeah. And you know what? We have to remember that John Bolton isn't, you know, just some appointee from yesterday's administration. He's been around for decades. He has been decorated. Um, he's and they loved him up until 48 hours ago. Exactly. Now he's now he's a Democrat. That's laughable. <laughs> um, and so when we see, you know, uh, uh, the the type of. Um, um, frame that's happening right now with uh, John Bolton. It makes you really want to look at the um, your Republican um, elected officials because if we say we say stand for patriotism and conservatism and for our country, um, then it, it whatever uh, our um, former national security advisor has to say, then I think we should the American people would like to know what he has to say because in six weeks, you know, the book will be out. Um, so, I mean, and then, for me, I think my question is, once the book is out or, you know, because it'll probably, once it's out to the public in six weeks, we'll probably obviously get something earlier than that. Um, so it may be probably, uh, less than a month where we'll start to hear, um, leaks and everything else coming down the pike. So I think we, you know, every, you know, person that's living, um, um, in a... Uh, state where there's a Republican senator, they do have, they have to, like right now, reach out and, you know, stress the need and the importance of having John Bolton as a witness. I, I find it hilarious, Melick, that all of a sudden John Bolton is uh, a Democrat. And then, then, then you have, then you got the folks who are now threatening him. You got Tammy Bruce who's on Fox News basically saying, don't you dare be a snitch. Uh, and you got people uh, now. Now they're railing on him. Uh, they, uh, one of the Trump lawyers said uh, an unverified source. I mean, it, it, it's, it's laughable that all of a sudden now he has a scarlet letter on him because he's coming out making making these statements. Yeah. Well, we shouldn't. We really shouldn't be that surprised that that's a response from a number of people in the party. I think that it, it doesn't matter which president it is. When you have an, a na- national security um, director, advisor, come out and essentially divulge information about conversations with the president of the United States, I think that that in itself, as we see, that's, that's already a huge story. But you have someone like John Bolton, who many people not just inside the administration, but many people considered a hawk and did not much care for John Bolton. Now, The only thing that I have to say about that, I'm one of those who said that John Bolton should testify, sure, bring him on in there, and it seems as if that uh, McConnell may not have, may not, those four people that everyone was looking at as far as who may end up voting for witnesses, um, seems like he can't meet that threshold. But, you know, one of the things that concerns me about it is that this information, this is information John Bolton has known. So this is information that John Bolton had through the um, House hearings, and it's the information that he has now. It's also information that the White House has had since December 30th. No, 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 no. it's not the White House. It's actually because I I followed that on the news today. So that information, the manuscript itself was actually given over to the um, National Security, I think, National Security Council. Where are they housed? 
and and the follow up to that. No, no. Where are they housed? I, they they very well may be housed in no, the no, White no. House. I'm not no, sure. No, it's the National Security Council for whom? For the White House. Right. So right. when I say, well, I, so, I don't so, know where they're no, housed. No, 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 no. When you so when I say, how long has the White House known? The NSC is a part of the okay. White House. But I just want to draw a distinction based on the reporting today that the White House, the actual Oval Office, Trump, Mulvaney, and all of those, that information was not, the manuscript was not shared to them. Now, we can say, well, we don't believe that it is, but according to everything that I've heard uh, uh, today... Uh, uh, who, who reported that? Um, well, I saw that on Fox News today. I saw that on a segment on CNN today. I didn't watch MSNBC. That but I actually, Trump, Mulvaney, and all of them didn't know about the manuscript. No, that, that the information was given to the National Security Council and that the White House was not given copies of that. Now, that may right. be false reporting, but again, that's the reporting that's actually out there. Right, that's, so, that, that's what they were told by the White House. Well, it... No, no, we, no. We, but we, only, we have to go with what we've been, what no, we've no, heard. But, so. No, actually, no, but, but see, we also are used to this being the most lyingest White House mm -hmm. uh, we've seen in modern history. So uh, anything that comes out of their mouth, okay. I don't automatically well, believe. That, and that's fine. We can choose not to believe it. But no, I'm just, on, I'm, I'm just stating I'm just, what's fact. And that's fine. But based they on lie. the reporting, the White House, the inner, the Oval Office, Trump and his advisors did not have copies. And, and the reason that that was shared with the National Security Council is because of um, security, because of their... It's, it's, it's just like when you work the CIA, right. as a process, when you write a book, you send it through the process so they can vet to ensure no classified materials are actually placed uh, in, in, uh, in the book. Right. Now, Bolton wrote the book because what he knows wasn't classified material. Now, if you say, well, that's cover under executive privilege, that's a whole different conversation. Right. But that's not actually classified material, just like Kelly, when Bob Gates wrote his book and he talked about conversations with President Barack Obama. Those were not classified conversations. Uh, so Trump can, then, can exert executive privilege, but also, to be perfectly honest, executive privilege doesn't, doesn't apply to a book. And can, I, can I just say this very quickly? I wish that John Bolton had agreed to testify during the House hearing. I mean, I understand now this is kind of helped, helped this book, but John Bolton should have been sitting in that seat. He shouldn't have had to wait for a subpoena if he wanted to. I mean, he's coming out with which the information why, in the book. Which is why so why not sit yourself right there right. in front of the house because, without them having because, to subpoena you? Because, because, you can, because you can write it in a book, Kelly, but when you're under oath, it's a different oh, deal. And I'm going to tell you something right now. Uh, I said this on the ABC this week on Sunday. That's why these are fake-ass patriots. They're not real, because if you want to talk about doing what's right for the country, doing what's right uh, 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 for justice, then you don't need a subpoena to testify. That's what he said. Oh, if, you, if the court mandates that I testify, I will. That's what John Bolton says. No, no. Yeah. Why don't your ass voluntarily say, call me, and I'll be there. And my thing is, the only reason I see him even doing that is because he's protecting somebody and that somebody is not the United States. He's protecting himself, he's protecting 45, but he's not doing anything in the best interest of us, the citizens of the United States. Um, going back to Jason's point about uh, him thinking about this bluff working or not, I, I, like you, Roland, I definitely disagreed with that, not because of necessarily executive privilege per se, but I feel like the Republicans would have called the bluff and said, okay, we want the Bidens, and all of a sudden, 
when um, the Democrats are supposed to get their witnesses, all of a sudden they're going to hide behind executive privilege. And the way that this trial is working out, because the Democrats are going first in terms of opening statements, and if we have a real trial, witnesses going first or whatever, the Democrats' witnesses would be going first because they're on the offensive. They're not going to have any witnesses because all of a sudden they're hiding behind executive privilege, and the Bidens are going to be out there hung to dry for what? You understand what I'm saying? Like, they're not even part of the case. They're wholly irrelevant to everything. And, um, you know, absent them, Trump still did what he did. And that's what's supposed to be on trial. Well, it, it, is, uh, it, is, it is laughable um, when you look at uh, how the Trump lawyers, uh, you know, what they laid out. I, I can't even talk about j just how shameful Alan Dershowitz was. Like, well, even if these things happen... Even if it's just still still not an abuse of power. He basically suggested that nothing can qualify as an abuse of power. Well, he contradicted <laughs> all of his books in in that statement. Like, and I have a couple of them. And then I'm he like, said, "Oh, back then I was wrong. Right. Now I'm right." You made millions of dollars off of being wrong. Like all these people in law school reading your books right. for a grade, <laughs> right. and you wrong. Please. Right. But, but if you look if you look at the Democrats, if you look at whether it's Nadler. Um, um, Chuck Schumer, even when they were congressmen, you know, the arguments, and it's something that they talked about because at the end of Cipollone's um, 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 defense there today before he rested, he played a montage of Democrats essentially saying the same thing that Republicans are saying But the now. context was wholly different. But whether, whether, it, whether the context was different, what they said as far as the, the very high bar to high crimes and misdemeanors, meeting that high bar to high crimes and misdemeanors, it's the very same thing that Republicans are saying now. What I'm saying... Well, well, no, what no. they're saying now is not applicable to this case. What the Democrats were saying back then was the fact that Bill Clinton, in his egregious era, did whatever he did... That did not rise did to not the level rise of... To that. And that's what, the same you, thing that the Republicans But the Republicans are saying, are saying no, he, that he, calling another country to basically have us, you know... Calling Call another, another country to investigate a political rival when you could right. have when you could have called for your own Department of Justice to launch an investigation because yeah, it was a valid source but, of inquiry. But you didn't. It what was, was a valid source of inquiry. What was um, Hunter, Hunter Biden and the Burisma connection? What, 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 I'm sorry. Hold up. Oh. Hold up. What was valid? Well, that's that's exactly what um, Vavonovich said. That's exactly what Sunderland said. No, no, no. Exactly no, no. What, what was valid? The that there that there were questions about whether Hunter Biden that it did seem like that there was some favoritism as far as him getting the contract with Burisma. Okay, here's the thing. Stop, stop, stop. Let's be oh. real. Oh, oh, let's be now, real. That's nothing illegal. No, no, go stop. Right. Hold that's on. Hold on. Illegal. Hold on. Stop. Right. There's absolutely nothing right. illegal or immoral about a company choosing to hire anybody that they want. But the issue here, again, is not Hunter Biden. Right. The issue here is Donald Trump asking a foreign entity to investigate a political rival. He, they keep Who saying... Who happens oh, to be a political rival. No, I think no, Donald no, Trump no, would no, ask for that investigation. No, no he wouldn't. Even, even no, if he Joe wouldn't. Biden wasn't Are running. you trying to say that... Are you actually trying to say that Donald Trump would ask for that investigation against... Regardless of anybody, he would have done that well, if we go down the list of people, he's called for investigations of Eric Holder, Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton. Those are all political rivals. But they're... Wait. 
Those are Wait. all political rivals. Right. How is, how, is, how is Eric Holder a political rival? Because Eric Holder is an attorney and general. How, 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 how is wait, Obama wait, wait, a political wait, rival? Because wait, he never wait, ran against Obama. Because Eric Holder was considering running for president yeah. of the United States. Second, it, first of all, we all we realize that Donald Trump sees uh, President Barack Obama as a rival. But well, that's really any Democrat no, no, then no, no, now. No, no, so no, now no, you're no, saying no, that any Democrat. No, no, no. Melick. D d look, that dog won't hunt. But it, well, it's, no, it's, no, no, no. The reality is here. Donald Trump sees Joe Biden as his biggest threat. Maybe. And so, no, ain't no maybe. Maybe so. Ain't no maybe. Maybe so. No, no, it's not maybe. It's a fact. Well, so we can what say what he uh, sees. Uh, here's the deal. We can give and our what, analysis And what he's that. dealing with is he wanted Jason to do anything to take his leading, his leading rival out. Who happens that's, to be a leading writer? That's the fact. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, that, I mean, there's no question writer. about that. I love Malik, but you know, Malik, but there's there's no way that you we can right. spin that uh, because of the fact that number one, uh, Joe Biden takes uh, a large part, portion of his state, you know, or challenges for them, and he certainly beats them in a lot of important states like Pennsylvania. So there is no question that he has seen Joe Biden as a rival. This is one of the reasons, even though I'm more of a Bernie guy than I am a Biden guy, you know, this is one of the reasons why you hear the president even pushing the narrative that uh, Bernie's being done wrong, that Bernie's being mistreated, because he would rather face Bernie Sanders exactly. and call him a socialist than just face Joe Biden, who can get more of the, uh, you know, working class, white, Midwestern and uh, Rust Belt vote. So there's no question that he sees Joe Biden as his primary political rival. Well, bottom lines is here. Republicans now got to make a serious decision as to whether or not they're going to call witnesses, and they are not too particularly happy that this book has been at the White House since December 30th, and they only found out because of a New York Times story on Sunday. Got to go to a break uh, right here on Roller Martin Unfiltered. When we come back, uh, we'll talk about... Again, uh, the latest uh, on the Kobe Bryant investigation and still uh, the reaction to his tragic death and that of eight others, including his daughter, right here on Roller Martin Unfiltered. You want to check out Roller Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roller Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roller Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. All right, folks, uh, join Reverend Dr. Jackie Hood Martin as she engages others to think like a leader. Are you looking to enhance your leadership or that of your team in 2020? You can join her newest online course and mastermind group, How Successful People Think. She'll be your guide as you learn timeless leadership principles to apply to daily living. The offer expires February 28th. To register, uh, go to www.livetolead.com forward slash Leesburg, www.livetolead.com forward slash Leesburg. All right, folks, uh, all nine bodies uh, that uh, were, were killed in the crash, uh, the plane crash of Kobe Bryant, those bodies have been recovered. Uh, of course, uh, all nine victims, they, the, the names have been released, yet people are still uh, just shocked and stunned by what took place uh, with the death of uh, Kobe Bryant. Kerry Champion, of course, formerly of ESPN. Uh, Kerry is a huge Los Angeles Lakers fan. This is what she posted uh, a short while ago on her Instagram channel.
Hey y'all, it's been a crazy, crazy few days. Find me somebody um, who hasn't shed a tear and I'll tell you that they don't have a heart. Uh, I wanted to post something, which I think I will, I'll write something. Just don't have the words. Like everybody's been saying, it just, it doesn't make sense. Like how? And the more details we get, the more we hear about the families involved and we think about what could have been for the little girls, for the mother, the fathers, then obviously for Kobe. His next chapter, his next year was, was gonna be special. I will go through the day and I'll have good moments and then I'll have these moments where I just break down. Like I'm sure everyone can relate to. Kobe for me narrates a very significant part of my life. He was in LA for 20 years, born and raised here. I remember when he immediately came to the Lakers and he would come up to UCLA and I would just see him around and there was the idea of, oh, there's the next one. Been a diehard Laker fan since I was in the womb, right? So to see him on my campus at UCLA was a big deal, but even bigger deal for me to actually meet him and forge a friendship. And I wouldn't call it a friendship, a workship. But for, for me, to know that he provided um, so many good highlights in my life, my family's life, my grandmother's life. Um, it was special. And I feel like the reason why this is so hard for so many of us because Kobe is supposed to be invincible. This is not supposed to happen to him this way. He's a superhero, right? A lot of our athletes are. But the stories, all the stories I hear, there are so many people being like, I met him, he did this for me, he did that for me. When I see these fans talk about moments in their lives when their parents gave them their first Kobe jersey or when they went to their first Laker game and Kobe walked past them or when they saw Kobe eating at a certain restaurant near his home and they got to talk to him for a few seconds. I mean, his reach is global, obviously, but 20 years in one city, it almost just feels like he could touch everyone here in Los Angeles, or he has touched everyone here in Los Angeles in some way. So just imagine if you're 10 years old and you've been a Kobe fan since you were 10 years old, you're now 30. If you were 30 years old when Kobe came here and you were a Laker fan, you're now 50. So you could see why everyone is so, so devastated. It's hard. It is hard. I think none of it makes sense. 
and I don't know when it'll make sense. And then you hear about his daughter, her friends. Oh, yeah. This one just, this one hits differently, right? I don't know if it was the manner in which it happened. But there's a lot of pain here. And I don't think that we can ask questions. I don't think that we can figure out why. I know I'm doing all of that. But I will tell you this. Tomorrow is my last day on ESPN. Right? It's my last day. And I feel blessed to have been able to cover him and honor him. Even in this tragedy, one of those moments you'll never forget. Where were you when? What can you share? But more than ever, I think, I think of the quote that we're seeing a lot, and I posted it earlier, it is, the biggest mistake that we can make is to think that we have time. That solidifies for me my choice to go and fly. I am going to miss my colleagues. Uh, and it'll be an understated farewell because I think so many of us are grieving. <laughs> but I'm closing one chapter in more ways than one and starting a new one. I still don't know why I don't have any answers. I wish I did. I think we always need answers to make us feel like it makes sense. It may never make sense. But I'm encouraging Laker Nation to stay strong. Fans, friends, family. I know it hurts. Like like a family member. It hurts like, like yo, I lost a family member. But all we can do is try to push through. That's all I got. Certainly uh, emotional for a lot of folks. Um, we showed you yesterday the video of LeBron James uh, as he got off of the plane on Sunday, um, shedding tears, uh, and he, um, he did release a statement where he um, talked about uh, he talked about uh, what this um, uh, was about, what it felt like. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and, um, and, and read that. Um, you can go to my iPad. Uh, this is what LeBron James posted. I'm not ready to be he I'm not ready, but here I go. Man, I, I'm sitting here trying to write something for this post. But every time I try, I begin crying again, just thinking about you, niece Gigi, and the friendship, bond, brotherhood we had. I literally just heard your voice Sunday morning before I left Philly to head back to L.A. Didn't think for one bit in a million years that would be the last conversation we'd have. WTF, I'm heartbroken and devastated, my brother. Man, I love you, big bro. My heart goes to Vanessa and the kids. I promise you I'll continue your legacy, man. You mean so much to us all here, especially Laker Nation. It's my responsibility to put this shit on my back and keep it going. 
Please give me the strength from the heavens above and watch over me. I got us here. There's so much more I want to say, but just can't right now because I can't get through it until we meet again, my brother. Now, the Lakers and the Clippers were supposed to play tonight, uh, but the NBA postponed that game. Uh, saying that uh, the Lakers are so devastated, not only the team, but also the entire organization, uh, that they want to give them additional time uh, to grieve this loss. In terms of the latest news, the, as I said, uh, all um, nine bodies have been recovered uh, and then uh, have gone to the morgue uh, for them to do autopsies uh, on those bodies. They also, NTSB, they also uh, are on the scene as well. Uh, they, in their uh, course, investigating. Um, they're also looking at uh, the flight. There's there been there's a video that I saw earlier uh, that someone posted uh, of the plane, excuse me, the helicopter as it was circling because they were actually delayed uh, from landing, and so that was uh, the, you know that was taking place. Reports also indicate that the, the helicopter was going about 185 miles an hour. And apparently, uh, the uh, the pilot was trying to uh, descend, and based upon those reports, uh, they simply slammed right into uh, the mountains. And uh, f folks uh, are so there was a news, you said there was a news conference. Okay, let's go right to it. The parties to the investigation are the Federal Aviation Administration, Sikorsky, Pratt and Whitney Canada. Island Express, and the National Air Traffic Controllers Association. We also established investigative groups. We take our investigators and the parties to the, investigations, to, the, to the investigation, and we establish smaller groups to drill down to get the factual information that we need. The investigative groups we formed are operations and human performance. They will look at the pilot, the organizational structure, the company, how the company is regulated. Air traffic control, which will look at the history of the flight. Airworthiness, which will look at the airframe, instruments, wreckage, seat configuration, and flight controls. Power plants, which will look at the engines. There were two Pratt & Whitney Canada PT6 turboshaft engines and the power plants groups will focus on that. We also have a weather investigator. And speaking of weather, we have a request for the public. We're looking for photos of the weather in the area of the crash. If you have photos that can help us, again, in the area of the crash, if you could send those photos to witness at ntsb.gov. That's witness at ntsb.gov. We're not just focusing on weather here, though. We are talk. We take a broad look at everything around an investigation, around an accident. We look at man, machine, and the environment, and weather is just a small portion of that. So we would appreciate the public's assistance. If you have that, please send that in again, to witness at ntsb.gov. Congresswoman Maxine Waters and Congressman Harley Rudolph, California, led members of the California delegation in the moment of silence on the House floor today. Mr. Speaker, 
I stand today on behalf of all Californians and certainly the entire city of Los Angeles and millions of fans worldwide who are mourning the sudden and tragic loss of one of the greatest athletes we've ever known, Kobe Bryant. Celebrated as a king in Los Angeles, Kobe's death is deeply painful for our city and his millions of fans everywhere. For decades, he dazzled generations of fans and aspiring athletes, leaving a legacy as a prolific athlete, devoted husband, loving father, and philanthropist that will never be forgotten. This tragic event is made worse by the death of his 13-year-old daughter, Gianna Bryant, a beautiful young lady who was so full of life and potential. Our hearts go out to his wife, Vanessa, surviving daughters, Bianca, Natalia, and Capri, relatives, teammates, and friends. On behalf of the California delegation, we lift up the names of Kobe Bryant, his beloved daughter Gianna, and all the victims, all of the victims of this horrible tragedy in prayer and reverence, and send our deepest condolences to their loved ones now and forever. I yield back to Congressman Ruta. I ask that all members and guests in the gallery rise for a moment of silence. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I yield back. Now, folks, National Transportation Safety Board, they've actually released video that they shot of the crash scene. Uh, it is on their YouTube channel. This is the video here uh, that they shot uh, on um, yesterday. Uh, and it includes, uh, it includes uh, drone footage uh, of the crash scene as well. Also, uh, People Magazine in their special edition um, on this, uh, on the death of Kobe Bryant, also reported that a source said that Kobe and his wife, uh, Vanessa, had a deal that they would not fly together on a helicopter, that they were always, uh, that one, if one was flying, the other one would not be on that helicopter. Uh, and they never didn't give a reason why. I mean, the reality is this here, that there, there are a lot of families, to be honest, uh, who do the exact same thing, but they said they, do, they don't have two parents uh, who are flying or, t or traveling together. I know some folks who do that, as I said. So this is from the NTSB. Uh, this is the actual drone footage uh, of the wreckage. Uh, that is the, you see the, um, uh, you see the blue, um, uh, that, that's, that's one of the DGI uh, drones there. Uh, investigators have uh, courting off a five mile radius. Uh, in addition, they've also set a 5,000 foot ceiling uh, preventing uh, helicopters or drones or planes or anyone else flying over uh, this crash scene as they continue to investigate. Uh, they will comb through all of this wreckage and what they will do is uh, then try to uh, put, what they normally do that people don't realize is, is that they will remove the entire helicopter and all the parts and then take it to a hangar or a warehouse and literally 
reconstruct the helicopter. They do this when they have plane crashes as well, where they will reconstruct to then go through uh, to figure out uh, exactly uh, what caused uh, this uh, accident to the life of Kobe Bryant and um, and eight others. And so, um, uh, certainly, uh, people are still uh, reeling from this. Uh, there have been thousands of fans who have been flocking to the Staples Center in Los Angeles uh, for no reason. Uh, it's not like no planned memorial. They've been creating memorials uh, at the Staples Center, also at the crash site. Uh, the FBI has been trying to tell people do not come to the crash site. In addition to that, um, folks have also set up makeshift memorials at uh, his high school, where he went to school in Philadelphia. Uh, joining me right now is a sports reporter, Kelsey Nicole Nelson. Uh, she is in Miami for the Super Bowl. And earlier, Kelsey, I saw some video of a moment of silence that was taking place at one of the NFL uh, events there. And so, I mean, this this tragic this tragic death of Kobe Bryant today was media day. There were, I mean, all the different uh, players on the San Francisco 49ers as well as the Kansas City Chiefs were asked about this. I mean, that gives you an indication uh, that the death of Kobe Bryant is not just a basketball story; it is a, a global story. Correct, Roland. And I will tell you, every single interview that I've had here, and you talked about it, every single press conference has mentioned the name Kobe Bryant because that's what he meant. And yes, this is a football arena, but Kobe touched so many. All of the young athletes here have said they were inspired by Kobe, his competitiveness, his athleticism. He always wanted to be the greatest. And of course, that's what most athletes want to be. And everybody is still in a state of shock. Uh, Kobe seemed invincible. They weren't, we weren't ready to let Kobe go. It wasn't supposed to happen. Um, and everyone has truly paid their respects but it hurts. It hurts. And everyone's still hurting inside. And yes, we're in South Beach, we're in Miami, but everyone said it's just not the same this year uh, because unfortunately the passing of Kobe Bryant just hangs a cloud over all of us um, here at the Super Bowl. Uh, well, folks, uh, I'm looking at some comments here uh, where people who are saying, well, you know, uh, why didn't he just drive? Uh, one of the stories here from the Los Angeles Daily News said that uh, from his home to where uh, practice was, his Mamba Academy was 78 miles. Uh, and what people don't, people don't realize is that Kobe Bryant traveled by helicopter every single day to practice and to games uh, in uh, the latter part of his career. So this, this wasn't... And, and then, according to um, uh, the LA Daily News, he also would only fly with this particular pilot. Uh, Kylie Jenner, I think, posted something where she often had flown on a helicopter. So this was an extremely experienced pilot who was on this plane as well. And so obviously people have so many questions about what took place uh, and are shocked by it. But, but th th there really are no, uh, no answers until the investigation is complete. Right. And I feel like we're also asking why, what happened. Um, and I was just in L.A. before I came here. And I have to just say, I, I can just imagine just a state of shock and grief. And as you said, Kobe had been doing this for a long time. This was not new. You talked about the pilot's experience. Again, more questions why it happened. Um, and I think now we're just all hoping the investigation hopefully soon comes to a close because we all just want to know what led to our star's uh, death. And people have to understand, I mean, Kobe was L.A. L.A. was Kobe. So that's why they're investing so many resources and everything into figuring out what happened and of course also for the other young lives lost um it's just it's still hard to grasp around but i, I think people are appreciating all that la is putting into it but i feel like still the answers aren't coming fast enough because again gone too soon roland just gone too soon for kobe 
Uh, and again, uh, I mean, look, according to this daily news story, it says the Sikorsky made what appeared to be a, quote, panic climb at a rate of 1,406 feet per minute, about 30 seconds before it stopped sending data, said Robert Katz, a Dallas-based commercial airplane pilot and certified flight instructor who had been flying since 1981. Quote, this helicopter is probably the best machine money can buy. The weak link in the chain is going to be the pilot, but this also was... Uh, in a very experienced pilot. But look, I think what people have to understand is that, uh, I mean, look, we, we, we can go down uh, the line in the history. Otis Redding uh, was flying, piloting his own plane uh, when it crashed uh, in Wisconsin, uh, killing him and nearly all the members of his band, the Barquets. Uh, you look at uh, the the uh, the Big Bopper, um, who's the, the uh, guy with uh, the movie, uh, the song La Bamba, uh, and, uh, you know, um, what was the... Um, Buddy Holly, uh, you know, three folks, three folks who died in plane crashes. So, so it's not, I mean, and not only that, there was a, there was a, a NASCAR driver uh, who died in a helicopter crash. And so, I mean, and look, we've known about other plane crashes. I mean, uh, you know, the Minister Miles Monroe uh, was killed uh, when, on his private plane uh, and others were on that plane when it was uh, going to his conference uh, in the Bahamas. And so uh, the reality is, I mean, yes, people are shocked that it's uh, Kobe Bryant who died in his helicopter crash, but there have been other examples where this car crashes or helicopter crashes or plane crashes uh, where the cause was a variety of things, mechanical or even pilot error. And as you said, I mean, it's throughout history. So many have been taken from us. And let's be honest, that's why some people just simply don't fly um, or, you know, are just afraid to step foot on a plane. And it just seemed like even though still we knew about the safety concerns and we knew everything, but still, Roland, it was Kobe. Kobe, I think, had that invincibility that we all just, we knew him. We welcomed, into, we welcomed him into our homes every time we watched him play. We wore his stuff. We wore the jersey. We wore everything that he did. So I think still, even though people know all of those different things, it just was not supposed to be Kobe. And unfortunately, again, you talked about it. So many celebrities used use flying as a way to get around. I mean, if you look at the reports and everybody that's been to L.A. knows how bad traffic is. And I think Kobe just trying to be responsible, you know, was trying to get everybody on that plane to a destination in a safe manner and in a quicker manner. But unfortunately, we know what took place. But he was no stranger to it. He had been doing it for a long time. He did everything right, essentially. You know, he trusted in his pilot that he had always flied with. And it just seems like, unfortunately, that small error, that that short second, um, you know, took Kobe from us. And you said it, though. It just seems like all the time we keep losing our stars to this. And it just makes you question and wonder, you know, I mean, you don't want to say who's next, but it's just, it's still just, it's a lot, Roland. It's still a lot to process, and it's just still heavy on all of our hearts. Kelsey, Nicole, Nelson, we certainly appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Jason, look, I know people, again, they, they people want answers. They ask these questions. Uh, uh, sorry, we don't have Jason there. All right, so I'll go to our panel here. Um, uh, oh, he is there. Okay. All right. They told me you weren't there. Okay. You're all there. He nodded uh, off. So, you know, Jason, they, 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 you know, I know people, people want to know why, oh, why, oh, why. But you look at, you look at Brian Shaw, uh, who was one of the coaches on the L.A. Lakers uh, when Kobe played there. He was on NBA TV on Sunday uh, in 93. He lost his parents and sister to a car crash. And he talked about, right. he talked about grief. Uh, Monty Williams. Uh, who is now the head coach of the Phoenix uh, Phoenix Suns, uh, lost his wife uh, to a car crash when he was a coach in Oklahoma City. Uh, right. And so, and so the, the reality is, I mean, there have been uh, accidents that have failed. I mean, look, Dale Earnhardt, one of the, the one of the greatest NASCAR drivers in history, was killed in the Daytona 500, uh, the Super Bowl of NASCAR. Uh, right. uh, on uh, the fight on the final lap or the final final two laps, and so. 
uh, tragedy strikes, and it has happened before. It's certainly unfortunate, but people still uh, just uh, are in shock. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, um, you know, I, just because I'm, I'm a history buff, I just want to say the name you were thinking of was Richie Valen. He was the guy who wrote... Uh, La Bamba, yeah. Right. So, any... Or he didn't write it. He performed it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, these things unfortunately happen. And I, I always think that there is a larger purpose. I'm a, I'm a believer, so I believe that, you know, there is something that is in the larger plan, you know, for society, that they are serving them, you know, in... Uh, you know, in their passing, you know, doing a doing a good for society, that we may learn something from this, that, you know, there's something we can take from it, rather than just saying, you know, oh, that they were taken too soon. I, and I'll tell you, I know, I hope this doesn't sound, come out the wrong way, but I don't believe we die too soon. Uh, we, did, we die at an appointed time. And there's a larger purpose and a larger goal. And, you know, Kobe was an incredible... A competitor, an incredible husband and father, someone who was able to learn from his mistakes and grow, which is something that all of us want, uh, or we should want. So, you know, with Kobe Bryant and his passing, it's really hard for his fans. It's ten times harder for his family. But I, I like to believe that there's a larger plan out there uh, and that there's some way that Kobe's death is going to serve you know, a larger purpose. And, you know, I I joined with everybody else in grieving, you know, his passing. He seemed like he was headed to, to greater, to newer things and, and doing things in the business world and in the world of philanthropy. And I believe maybe Vanessa Bryant is going to take on a lot of that and, and change the world in places that, you know, Kobe is missing now. Kelly, um, it, it, is, it is still interesting when you look at uh, the reaction. Uh, there are um, th there are some players who literally uh, are, are changing their numbers, uh, even though you know his numbers retired, number eight, number twenty-four with um, with Los Angeles Lakers. Some players are voluntarily swapping out, and the, and the NBA actually does not allow that to happen. Mm -hmm. But the fact that they're allowing it to happen in season says a lot about how they how uh, how they feel about Kobe Bryant. Absolutely, I, I'm not the biggest basketball fan out there, but you can't deny the the legacy that Kobe Bryant has left, even in his 41 years. That just is a testimony to his greatness, to his work work ethic, to his drive. You know, I. I I was not, again, like, I wasn't a basketball fan, but I was a Kobe fan. And I was even more of a Kobe fan after retirement because I was actually able to follow him a little bit better. You know, I got to see who he was holistically outside of a sport that I, frankly, just don't understand nearly as well as others. So, for me, I am grieving the human being. Uh, I, want that, that... I want to interrupt you for one second. The NTSB is having a live news conference as we speak. Please go right to it. Interviews are ongoing, and we haven't been able to connect. They are working on setting up other interviews for the next several days. At 3 p.m., I held a family briefing by conference call. We do that with every accident investigation. Either we hold a family briefing 
uh, to update them on the investigation, make sure they're aware of information before we provide it publicly, and um, go through the process, the NTSB's investigative process, and what they can expect over the next several weeks and months. I'm not going to discuss the family briefing. You're going to ask, if, if I get questions about who was on the call, what was discussed, I'm not going to answer that out of respect for the families. I am going to provide you some information for some questions that were asked yesterday and the day before and over the past couple hours. With respect to the pilot, I mentioned that on the second class medical certificate, which was dated July 2019, the pilot had 8,200 hours of flight time. Obviously, that was July, so the pilot has more flight time because it's been some time since then. Out of that, the pilot had 1,250 hours of flight time on the S-76 helicopter. So 1,250 hours on the helicopter. So that's a good amount of experience. He's also been with the company for 10 years. We do know that the day before the accident, he flew from John Wayne Airport to Camarillo. And uh, the weather was clear. It was a different flight path, more direct, and occurred about an hour later than the one on Sunday. I was asked about the descent rate of the helicopter. We know that the helicopter was at 2,300 feet when it lost communications with air traffic control. The descent rate for the helicopter was over 2,000 feet a minute. So we know that this was a high energy impact crash. As the and the helicopter was in a descending left bank. Now, one thing I want to mention is some of our recommendations. In 10 days, we're going to issue a preliminary report. That is going to contain factual information. It's not going to contain our findings, our analysis. It's not going to contain any safety recommendations or a probable cause, but it's going to provide some factual information, more than we have now, but just the facts. In about 12 to 18 months, we'll, we hope to have a final report, which will include findings, recommendations, and a probable cause. In that time, we could issue urgent safety recommendations. So at the end, when we issue a final report, we issue safety recommendations that we hope will be implemented by the recipients. And the goal is to prevent a similar accident from happening again. Two recommendations that have been issued in the past that the FAA has failed to act on, I want to talk, out, talk about. I was asked about terrain awareness and warning system, or TAWS which provides terrain information to the pilot. I was asked whether that was on this helicopter. We have verified it was not. In 2004, the NTSB investigated a crash involving an S-76A in Galveston, Texas, which killed 10 people. We issued a recommendation to the Federal Aviation Administration that stated, require all existing and new US-registered turbine-powered rotorcraft certificated for six or more passenger seats 
to be equipped with a terrain awareness and warning system. They did not implement the recommendation. In 2014, we closed the recommendation as unacceptable. In 2005, we assisted in, in an investigation involving an S-76C helicopter, which crashed in the Baltic Sea, killing 12 people. We issued a recommendation to the Federal Aviation Administration to require all rotorcraft operating under parts 91 and 135 to be equipped with a CVR and an FDR. The FAA failed to implement that recommendation, so we closed that unacceptable. And for this accident, it was operating under Part 135 charter. So with that, I want to state this is the last press conference that we're going to have. We are not leaving the scene. Our investigators still have work to do. We, again, will provide a preliminary report in 10 days that will that will contain factual information. We'll have a final report in 12 to 18 months, and again, we could issue urgent safety recommendations in that time. For investigative updates, please monitor our Twitter feed at NTSB underscore newsroom, and of course, feel free to contact us if you have additional questions. I'm gonna take some questions, and uh, please raise your hand, state your name, and your affiliation. Thank you. Correct. Um, as I understand it, Island Express was certified just as an IMR. Is that correct? Sorry, a VFR. Was that correct? And did that mean that the instrumentation on that aircraft was not maintained up to a IFR standard? You want to take that? So, yes, you're, you're correct. They have a Part 135 VFR certificate as to how the instruments were maintained and if they were kept to IFR standards. That's something we'll be looking into in the maintenance records. We haven't got that far yet. But is the fact that they were classified that way, is that part of the investigation? Yes, sir. I don't have information on the passenger manifest for Saturday, uh, but the crash site was 1,085 feet. There were other hills in the area, so the but the impact area is at 1,085 feet. How much did they clear missing the mountain by? I mean, do we? Need? Oh, yeah, 20 feet, 30 feet. Maybe 20, 30 feet. Over here. The question was on the weather, inf the weather information. We and the question is specific to uh, information we requested from the public 
photos and videos that were sent in to witness at ntsb.gov and whether we've been able to analyze any of those. We do, we are in the process of looking through all the photos and videos. I will state th a big thank you to the public. Every time we ask for information, you send it in and it's very helpful to our investigation. With that said, we have received video and photos that are not of this helicopter or even in this country. So I will state that takes our investigators time to verify that and that takes away from the investigative work that they need to do. So while I do appreciate a lot of what we received and a majority of what we received is fantastic, but in other areas it, it does waste our investigators time. Tom. You're asking if the uh, aircraft had some any type of GPS-based uh, terrain avoidance system. Uh, again, as mentioned, we're going to be going through all the equipage that's on the aircraft so that we can understand that. That'll be part of developing the sequence. Right now, that doesn't look to be uh, part of the scenario that we're looking at, but we'll definitely be documenting all of the equipment that's on board, certified or not. Well, we'll, I mean, we'll have to see what's on the iPad. I mean, we don't, we don't know right now. That's part of any investigation. I'm sorry, let me repeat the question. And the question is, what sort of information do we hope to glean from the iPad? There, there could be a lot of information on the iPad with respect to terrain, weather briefings that uh, the pilot may have gotten, notice to airmen, um, flight path information. We'll have to look at all of that but I'm not sure we have any of that yet. So that's something we have to analyze and we've sent that information back, or uh, the electronics back to our lab. The uh, question is, did we, well, first on, did we locate all the significant components? Yes, so that would seem to, that indicates to us, preliminary information is that the helicopter was in one piece when it impacted the terrain. Uh, the second question is, was the helicopter crash survivable? No. Was, uh, the, dive was, the, uh, was the dive recoverable? Yes. I mean, that, that we're going to have to look at as part of the accident investigation. That requires further analysis. So just follow up on that. You mentioned the 2,000 feet per minute descent rate. Is that within the normal operating range for that helicopter, or is that considered an out-of-control situation? Is that a normal descent range for, uh, for this, for this, for this Sikorsky? I mean, this is a... A uh, pretty steep descent at high speed, so it wouldn't be a normal landing speed. Is that beyond the realm of the helicopter to handle? Do flight controls still work? Do the, does the pitch still control the helicopter? That's something we're going to have. Uh, 
can the, can the helicopter handle this? And that's something we're going to have to evaluate as part of the investigation. Steve. I mean, how do we determine pilot judgment? That's a difficult part of the investigation, and we look at the facts in the investigation, and, and that's what we're focused on. We can't make any assumptions about what somebody is thinking. So our investigation is strictly focused on the facts, and then those facts will lead us to an analysis. And what type of facts are you trying to I'll come back to that. Stephanie. Oh, uh, the the question is, what did the drone, what did we learn from the drone from the uh, flight path information that we uh, put in the drone today? I mean, we were looking at the flight path, so the angle it took coming in. We didn't fly it low because that would be a problem, and there were people. Uh, working in that area, so we just wanted to look at part of the flight path, and uh, and we want to docu document the wreckage with it. You had a second question uh, on the, the 20 to 30 feet that I just mentioned. The question is on the 20 to 30 feet. Somebody just asked uh, where the impact site was. It was 1,085 feet uh, uh, up. And uh, he asked uh, where the, uh, what the height of the hill was, and it was about 20, 30 feet above that. The helicopter just missed clearing the... I mean, what? Yes. The question was how, how much did the helicopter miss the hill? It's important to realize that there's not one hill. It's a ravine yeah. with undulating terrain. So the small outcropping that had the main impact in it the main impact was about 20 or 30 feet from the top of that small hill, but there are actually other higher hills surrounding it, if that makes sense to you. It's in this canyon with small hills within it. If it cleared this morning, probably would have hit another one There's but, other hills right close by, correct? Well, yes. I, and I don't, I don't know that we can say it probably would have hit another hill either. I mean, that's just, that's an assumption, so we can't state that. Hey. Uh, the question is on the grounding of the LA Sheriff's helicopters uh, that, mo that, that morning. And it is an apples to oranges comparison. It's a different helicopter, different operations. They have four-person helicopter. This is, this is outfitted for, for more than that. So, you know, we have to look at this specific crash and, we, and this specific helicopter. We can't compare that to others. Is there any way to safely fly this helicopter in thick fog? I mean, I think there's a lot of variabilities there. And so we're focused on what the weather conditions were uh, for this uh, on Sunday for this flight. And uh, we have a uh, weather expert on staff currently looking at 
the weather and decision making for flying in the weather that day. question is how common it is for a pilot to request to fly under special visual flight rules. It's very common. This is not out, out of the ordinary. Uh, the, the question is on the terrain warning. It didn't have a terrain warning and awareness system, so no, it did, it did not have that. Um, the, the, what was your first question? They was trying to climb up. Go right, ahead. He, was he was trying to climb out of the cl cloud layer at the time, so. Yes. Um, talking about your recommendations there at the end, is your position that perhaps if those recommendations had been put in place, that this crash would not have happened? No. Uh, the question is if our recommendations were implemented, would this crash not have happened? Well, certainly TAWS could have helped to provide information to the pilot on what terrain uh, the, the pilot was flying in. but. One of those recommendations on the helicopter having a CVR and an FDR, that would have helped us significantly in this investigation and other investigations. And it's something we've recommended several times uh, over a number of years. So. The question is, in what, at what point would TAWS have alerted the pilot there's many variables here, and we don't even have a conclusion that TAWS and this scenario are related to each other. So that's a lot of speculation in that question, so that, that really can't be answered. Is it too soon to say whether or not the pilot was still in control of the helicopter when it started that abrupt descent? Uh, that it is too soon uh, to state whether the helicopter was still in control, or the pilot was still in control of the helicopter at that point. Is what consistent? Uh, is the climbing, the bank, the steep decline, does that sound like controlled flight? Do you want to answer that? The, the question is, uh, does the bank and descent um, sound like controlled flight? Uh, that would be asking us to draw a conclusion at this point, and until we put together all the information, we can't make that kind of conclusion. Uh, well, I mean, we're going to look, what evidence do we look at um, to help make the determination of whether he should have been flying in this kind of weather? Well, we are going to look at the weather conditions. We're going to talk to air traffic control. We're going to talk to the company. And uh, we're going to look at records. So. From, from the descent? From when the steep descent began. 
the time from the descent to impact was probably about a minute. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's it. Thank you. All right, folks, uh, that was the NTSB uh, live news conference uh, there in Los Angeles uh, describing uh, the state of their investigation into the helicopter crash that killed uh, Lakers legend Kobe Bryant and eight others. Uh, it was interesting, uh, Kelly, we, you, we had some questions here, and literally as we were asking those questions, they're answering those questions uh, in uh, that news conference. I think it's very, very telling how NTSB advised FAA twice now in the past five years um, to update the regulations and equip their helicopters with uh, necessary life-saving measures for such as times as this, and they have virtually ignored them at every step of the way. Um, there is no excuse. There is no excuse. Um, I don't want any narratives of anybody blaming the pilot or blaming this or blaming that. Yet the fact of the matter is some things could have happened beforehand, such as the recommendations of NTSB equipping these helicopters. Yeah, but, but typically, though, to be perfectly honest, in most crashes, yeah. it's largely pilot error. I mean, oh, but, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean once they is, go through... It's not solely right. his... Like, other things could have happened. I'm not well, saying... But, but again, though, we don't... Here, here's a piece, though. That was a recommendation. The FAA rejected it. Um, once they go through the investigation, first of all, while we're sitting here talking, go, go to my iPad, please. Uh, journalist Michael Adi is actually outside of the Staples Center uh, live-streaming, um, of course, folks who are gathered there. So let's just, as we talk, we'll talk over this. Just want to give people a sense of what's happening. Uh, with these memorials at, at Staples. I mean, the, the reality is um, people, um, uh, they go through the investigation, they determine exactly what happened. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, and what took place. And, you know, they'll go through it and look at those flight records and was it pilot error? Did he, ma did he, make, did he make a mistake in terms of, of uh, coming out of that cloud layer? Or, or, I mean, all of those things will, will, will come into it. I, I do believe, uh, Malik, that what happens in cases like this, um, people learn far more about um, rules and regulations than they even thought about. Yeah. Don't, I mean, because again, you when you hear them say the helicopter, the, one of the top of the line helicopters did not, did not have a uh, a uh, a terrain warning on it, mm -hmm. you would think, wait a minute, you're flying around mountains, how, how in the world you wouldn't have that? Yeah, I mean, and it's a very good point. This, this is, um, you know, now in the NTSB, and I'm glad that they're actually on, you know, this is an example of our government actually at work. This is what the NTSB does. And as we heard, they made a recommendation in 2014 and 2005 that the um, director there, um, she said that she believed that it actually could have helped in this particular situation. Now, the way that government works is that you have these agencies, these independent agencies, make recommendations to the larger agencies. So if it's the Occupational Safety and Health Review Commission making recommendations to OSHA or NTSB, NTSB making recommendations to FAA, you know, sometimes they accept these recommendations and sometimes they don't. You actually raised a very good point is that in far too many of these instances where we're talking about regulations, you have lobbyists involved. And so lobbyists are the people who are pushing back on some of this. But just overall, I mean, of course, everyone wants an answer and they want the answer right now. I like what you said on, I think it was, oh, you were on Facebook and you were just saying, hold up. 
You know, I'm not just going to believe every single story that came out, you know, but I think we, in our fervor, you know, we want to know the answer, so we kind of make up things to fit whatever narrative. But one thing that can't be denied here is that Kobe was loved, you know, beloved. And there, I've seen people on, you know, the left and people on the right, you know, these, well, why aren't we talking about this person? Well, why aren't we talking about that person? The fact is, is that this is what happens when there is a national tragedy, whether it's Michael Jackson, Whitney Houston, you know, Prince, you know, these, we, we get these type of conversations because people are genuinely affected by, you know, a lot of people have been affected by it. And what we, we've seen everyone from Barack Obama to Donald Trump really just, um, wishing the family well. Um, and it is sad. It took everyone by surprise. But these type of things, they shock the conscience of Americans. And so this is, the, you know, the reason that we're talking about it is because it is a story that we should be talking but about. But, Teresa, also I think that what people um, will glean from this is that when you look at uh, what they're going through, all these people out here who hate government, hmm. All the people who talk about, oh, I, oh, I, I can't get, get government out of our lives. Guess what? There's a reason you want federal safety inspectors. Absolutely. There's a reason you don't want uh, cuts in food inspectors, mm -hmm. transportation inspectors, right. individuals that regulate airlines right. and trains uh, and, and highway transportation, transportation as well because... And I'll be perfectly honest, I believe uh, one of the fundamental problems in this country is that we are a reactionary country. Mm -hmm. That's true. Mm -hmm. Today is the anniversary of Space Shuttle Challenger exploding. Oh, mm. wow. In 1985. And they knew there was a problem with the O-rings. Right. Folks, I, you know, we'll just keep flying, uh, no big deal. Then all of a sudden, Space Shuttle blows up. Oh, damn, we need to talk about those O-rings. Right. They knew when, when, I think it was Columbia, when it exploded, the Space Shuttle. Mm -hmm. If there was a problem with, de with debris uh, chipping off of the Space Shuttle. And one thought, oh, that debris might puncture one of the wings, right. mm -hmm. and upon re-entry, leads to exploding. And the bottom line is, when we take government out of the responsibility of making sure that they are protecting us um, and making sure that the right safety measures and procedures and the right laws are being guided to protect us from these freak accidents, we then start to remove um, government from their responsibility right. of what we're actually paying for, right? It's to make sure government is um, hold accountable um, but also, like I said, protecting our rights. So, um, I think the most important part here is we gotta, when, you know, we gotta, I know technology is really big right now, and I think when we start to look at a lot of ag uh, algorithms um, and a lot of the technological components where they feel like man is not important or to be in some of those, um, those jobs where those recommendations actually... Um, can happen. So, right. do, so what do I mean by that? I think, you know, when we, we start to see um, people lose their jobs and some, some of these... Automation. In the automations, in, in some of these um, entities, and they're not putting a critical eye and they're just looking at the data points. 
that's when we start to, to really have that divide and that disconnect, and we start to have these accidents because the human interest is not no longer there. I mean, look, I mean, look, the, the Trump administration, uh, they just announced a rollback um, a couple of weeks ago on regulating uh, uh, pigs and other animals. And, right. and, and, regula and, and again, this is... This, I just want people to understand that what I'm, I'm not saying that had uh, the FAA put that rule in place, this crash would never happen. We don't know. We don't know that. Because, again, it could have been mechanical, could have been pilot error. We have no idea, okay? But what, what I will say is that when people uh, complain, this always happens in this country. I remember when that, when that bridge collapsed in Minnesota. Oh, mm. my God, I remember that. I remember that. And, and, and dozens of folks died. All yeah. the people were like, oh, my God, right. how yeah. did this happen? Mm -hmm. Easy. Well, you know how it happened. Because yeah. our infrastructure is crumbling. Yeah. And, and, and that is the thing. And, and I've always said that one of the biggest problems in this country is that we are reactionary. Right. We <laughs> wait until somebody dies mm -hmm. and then go, oh, wow, um, someone said we should do something about that. Okay, not, now let's do it. So we'll race to do it. When you, the, 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 I remember the, the, the gas explosions uh, that were happening with pipelines, uh, a gas company in California. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, well, company knew for 10 years right. uh, this was the case. Pepco filed for bankruptcy mm -hmm. yep. uh, as a result of the fires uh, take, raging in California last year. Then we find out, oh, well, folks have been new for a number of years, these things. I mean, and so in this country, I mean, like, even if, if, if I brought in, you know, climate change to it, it's amazing when I hear people who go, oh, no, no, look, that's, that's just going to cost too much. It's going to cost us too much money. We too often in this country wait right. for tragedy to strike, then right. go, ah, yeah, we might want to. Yeah, uh, we don't care we, about we, it we, until then. We might want to do something <laughs> about that. But it's not so even bad. about not caring about it until something happens. It's not caring about it until you are forced to do something about it. You know, it's, it's one of those things where it's like you have... If, if we don't have to pay for it up front, we're not going to. Right. You know, it really is about money. Like, you are... Ra Everything. You Everything. would rather have, you know, a a piggy bank full of money than a country full of people. Oh, I and mean, that's look, really all it is. The big three automakers. The big three automakers did cost-benefit analysis. Well, do we really need to put all these safety features in? Mm -hmm. So if X number of people die, mm -hmm. it's going to cost us this... But it would cost us this if we had to add these safety features. Uh, we would rather just just pay these settlements. I mean, if even folks with the die. lettuce going on, I mean, with the romaine lettuce and the call and the rollback. Uh, same thing. Like yeah. every, everything. Right. And when people die, then people go, "Oh my God, government, where were you?" Right. Then you go, uh, "Oh, I didn't realize that there were cutbacks in yeah. the FDA right. and the USDA." Yeah, because guess what? When people are hollering, low. Smaller government, right. smaller government. Right. Get government out of our lives. Right. Too much regulation. These are examples where regulation is important. And we could say the same thing in our schools, especially in public schools. Literally so every like, aspect we're, of we're our We're dealing with asbestos. Mm -hmm. yes. we're, you know, we're dealing with older buildings. Lead and playgrounds. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just, I, it just, it amazes me when people. That's watching people all the time. Don't give me that BS. About smaller government, right? Oh, I say I don't want government in my life, and I say there's not there's not a single example that somebody can raise to me where government does not have a place in your life. Mm -hmm. Just can't. Right. I mean, hell, the moment you're born, that birth certificate it's is a yours. government document. Yes, sir. 
when your ass died, that death certificate is a government document. Yeah, and if you think about just, it, and what people don't realize, so that you see guys, you know, cleaning windows in your city or something, they're up on the 15th mm -hmm. of floor, you know, there are different fall protection standards that right. the, these companies have to it's, abide it's by. Regulations! Yeah, there's right. different... Regulations. All right, folks, what you're saying, this is my, Michael Adi, uh, who is a travel journalist. Uh, he is outside of the Staples Center as we speak, uh, and uh, he has been live streaming for the past 20 or so minutes. People who are just simply congregating there with this, this makeshift memorial um, um, uh, for uh, Kobe Bryant and his daughter, Gigi. Uh, we are out of time. We've actually gone over time. I want to thank Jason. Uh, just keep, keep it on that, folks, while we're live. So I want to thank Jason, uh, Kelly, Melick, uh, as well as Teresa for being uh, on the show today. We have some other subjects we're supposed to get to, but because of the breaking news with the NTSB, uh, we went to that instead. Uh, folks, um, uh, this is what, what, what we do, what we do in Rollermark on the Filter. We want you to support what we do by joining our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar you go, every dollar you give goes to support this show to make this possible five days a week. And of course, we stream on Saturday and Sunday, so really, you know, we are uh, distributing content seven days a week across uh, the three social media platforms, YouTube, Facebook, and Periscope. So please go to rollermartinunfiltered.com to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Pull the audio up. I want to hear what Michael is saying. If you can. So again, want y'all to just leave, leave it up. So I want to just want y'all to uh, support what we do. Uh, those of you who are watching on YouTube, Facebook, and Periscope, please, uh, we ask our uh, folks to give, you know, 50 bucks each over the course of a year, $4.19 a month, 13 cents a day. That's what it comes out to. And every dollar, again, makes it possible for us to do what we do. Now, on Friday, I'm going to be in North Carolina for the 60th anniversary of North Carolina A&T's uh, lunch counter sitting. I'm the keynote speaker uh, Friday morning. We'll be uh, bringing that to you live as well. And don't forget, folks, on February 3rd and 4th, the Congressional Black Caucus, uh, they're going to be having their emergency summit for African-American leadership. Uh, we'll be live streaming that on both days. That's Monday and Tuesday. Just, again, two examples of what your dollars um, make possible for us to be able to live stream these events taking place uh, across the country. And so uh, thank you so very much. I'll see you guys tomorrow right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Holla! From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. 
he says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.